Instagram. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. In 1830, Alexis de Tocqueville, a secular Frenchman, came over to America to discover what it was that made America great that differentiated between the French Revolution and the American Revolution when they both seem to have similar phrases, France, liberty, equality, and fraternity, and uh, in America, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. But uh, de Tocqueville didn't take long, nine months, to give birth to an understanding of what it was that bound America together. What he discovered was... It wasn't the natural resources. It wasn't uh, any of the normal things that we count greatness in a country. But what he did discover was it was the unifying power of the authority of a book called the Bible. He said it's not as if everybody in America is a Christian per se, but universally the Bible is accepted as complete authority in the country. That is the unifying force in America. So how would we understand why America is so divided today? In fact, it's well understood, whether religiously or politically, socially, that America is divided at least in half. At least in half. And Jesus said, a city divided against itself cannot stand. So if a city can't stand, how about a nation? Why are we so divided? Well, I think de Tocqueville gave us an answer. It's because we have abandoned the authority of the Word of God. Not only have we abandoned the authority of the Word of God, but because we've done that, we've also abandoned the fear of the Lord in the land. And having abandoned those two things that unified us as a people, we now find ourselves in increasing chaos and confusion. So America is a divided nation. Our culture is becoming more secularized and anti-Christian, and our younger generation is leaving the church, abandoning the faith once delivered to the saints in droves. Why is the Christian message not impacting the culture like it used to? Well, that's the question before us here today on Viewpoint with our special guest joining us again, Ken Ham. Uh, who I consider to be uh, like a surrogate brother. Uh, my younger brother's name was Ken, but he has apostatized from the faith, unfortunately. And uh, But Ken Ham has not. Ken Ham is, uh, I consider, a dear brother, uh, a voice to the church in this generation, uh, also giving uh, warning, wooing and warning to our country, just like uh, yours truly here on Viewpoint. And he is coming to us today with a very interesting book called Divided Nation, Cultures in Chaos and Conflicted Church. Ken, it's so good to have you back on the program. 
Hey, it's great to be with you again and talking about uh, this subject, which is very, very important. Well, it is It is important. It, in fact, it's more than important. It's passionate for you and for me, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, you know, people say when I talk about these topics, they say you can hear your passion because, you know, I'm concerned for people's souls and concerned for what's happening in this nation, what's happening to the church, what's happening to families. And, you know, I'm trying to do my best to help them understand what has happened, why it's happening, and what to do about it. Well, you're a very interesting guy because many of us are trying to get our families on the ark, but you had to come off the ark to join us here on Viewpoint today. <laughs> Actually, I'm sitting in my office at the ANSA Center, which is our conference center at the Ark Encounter, the life-size Ark Encounter attraction. I'm looking out the window right at Noah's Ark. How's that? Isn't that amazing? And you, I understand that you have your uh, kids all on on the ark there working with you. Yeah. Uh, well, the Ministry of Answers and Genesis Creation Museum, Ark Encounter, our kids, our grandkids are all involved to one, de- one degree or another because they love the Lord and they want to serve Him and they love this ministry and see how important it is. That is, that is absolutely terrific. You know, years ago, uh, the Gaither Vocal Band did a piece called Build an Ark. It is a piece of music that unified our family. We will never, ever, ever forget it. And uh, I have used that so many times. Uh, Build an ark, save your sons and your daughters, build an ark. And I think that's what God has called us to do as Christians in this generation, don't you? Well, yes. In fact, I know that song, too. I love that song. Well, you know, Noah's Ark, if you think about it, is a picture of salvation. It's a picture of Jesus. And there was one door in the side of the ark, and the message of the ark is we need to go through that door and be safe in the ark inside. And that's why we even built these attractions. That's why we have the ministry of Answers in Genesis, for people to understand Jesus is our ark, our ark of salvation. We need to go through the door. He said, I am the door. And uh, so, yes, we want to get them in the ark. We want to see people saved and want to the Lord Jesus be in heaven with us. It's interesting, uh, Ken, looking at your background, you were a teacher, weren't you? I was a science teacher in the public schools in Australia, actually. started yeah. teaching in uh, 1975. Well, I was a public school teacher in California and taught uh, math uh, beginning in uh, 1967. And uh, so you and I have a lot in common. Of course, you weren't a lawyer. I was, and God had to take me through the public schools and then... Uh, through 20 years in law practice to bring me to this point, what brought you from teaching in Australia, nonetheless, to uh, building an ark and uh, the Creation Museum? Well, you know, it's interesting because I was brought up in a Christian home with parents who loved the Lord, who taught us to stand on God's Word, taught us apologetics, uh, equipping us with answers to the liberal theology of the day that um, my parents didn't want to see us led astray and start to doubt God's Word, so they were equipping us. And when I became a teacher, it's interesting uh, that one of the first science lessons, a student said, sir, we heard you're a Christian, you're going to run the Christian group in the school, but how can you believe the Bible when we know it's not true (laughs) because of what our textbooks teach about evolution? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Noah couldn't get the animals on the ark. It was one of the first things they said. Noah couldn't get the animals on the ark. And I started to realize how these students needed answers and that what they were being taught was a stumbling block to them even listening to what the Bible says. And so I started to give them answers. And when I took them to museums, I saw they're all from an evolutionary, atheistic perspective. And I cried out to the Lord and said, can't we have a museum that teaches the truth that starts with God's word? And 
Club, we have a creation museum, and that's how it really all started. I started to speak in churches Mm -hmm. in their Bible studies and found most Christians thought you didn't need to believe Genesis. And when I explained to them how it's the foundation for the rest of the Bible, for all of our doctrine, for our worldview, it opened their eyes. And I started to realize, well, we need to get this message out to to the world, but we need to get this message out to the church as well. And so that was sort of the embryonic beginnings of how a ministry started in our home in Australia and then I came over on tour to the U.S. and still had that burden to build a creation museum, and mm-hmm. that's how it all began. Well, Ken, i got to tell you, you had a vision. Without a vision, the people perish. And, of course, you named the ministry Answers in Genesis. Now we know and understand exactly why you named it that and how. And uh, I, uh, I think I told you once before that when you opened the Ark Encounter, uh, my wife and I decided to take the monies we would normally have invested in celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary and use it to bring our children and our grandchildren uh, to the ark. And we did that right there as it opened. And what a blessing it was. We're going to talk when we get back with uh, Ken Han concerning this turbulent time we're listening, living in and perilous times that have come upon the church. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The Apostle Paul said that in the last days there would be perilous times. And he then described the characteristic of those perilous times. You can find that right there in the book of Timothy. And uh, I urge you to go back and read it because I think it will enlighten you as to what's happening in our time. He described it precisely. But these are not just perilous times in general. These are perilous times for the church. They really are. And we're living in a turbulent time, a very turbulent time, and people are having a very difficult time understanding it, comprehending it, and basically many parents, even pastors, are kind of throwing up their hands and saying, well, there's nothing we can do. We're just going to continue on just doing little things and... uh, pretending that uh, things really aren't happening out there, but they really are. And down there in Australia, uh, Kim, where you came from, uh, that's one of the uh, most serious places in the world right now for uh, cultural annihilation and uh, uh, just absolute antagonism to uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think. Well, yes, and I know one of the uh, Christian leaders there, Martin Niles, from the Australian Christian Lobby that's been leading people across America, across Australia uh, to deal with uh, the legislation they're trying to pass in various states to really undermine uh, Christian freedom, religious freedom. It's really Christian freedom. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be able to force the, the gay marriage issue, LGBT worldview on people and the abortion issue and so on. And so, yeah, in fact, the whole Western world is really uh, going that way, which is why we need to understand how this battle started and what the battle is. Actually, the battle is nothing new. Mm-hmm. I mean, the battle that's happening today has been going on for 6,000 years. Right. I think in America and the Western world, because we've had such a, 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 a 
you know, Christianized sort of uh, culture in the past where the Judeo-Christian ethic permeated the, Christ, the Western world and particularly permeated American culture, mm-hmm. as that Judeo-Christian ethic has sort of been ripped off as the younger generations have been uh, very secularized, we're now starting to see the real world for what it is, I believe, yeah. and the real battle that's before us. Yeah, absolutely. I received a call from one of our uh, listeners down there in New Zealand, uh, a neighbor of your former alma mater, uh, Australia, and uh, he is desperately concerned about not only what's happening in Australia, but what's happening in New Zealand, which is following rapidly in the jet stream of Australia. And uh, he says, my wife and I have been looking all over the world to try to find a place to raise our children. And uh, he said, we've looked everywhere in the Western world. We've looked just about everywhere. And he said, the only place that we can find that has any reasonable current hope is the United States of America. And that's because in the United States, you have all of these various 50-some states. And many of them, they don't share the same viewpoint. Uh, Many of them share a Christian viewpoint, which gives us hope. So uh, we're living in just some seriously desperate times. And not only that, you heap COVID on top of it all. And I I thought as we were coming together here today, Ken, it seems to me that most Americans, even Christian Americans, are more concerned about whether their kids get COVID than whether they get Christ. You know, certainly I think uh, what has happened is that there's been a great fear uh, promoted in our culture, and I think this whole COVID situation has certainly been weaponized and, and politicized and so on. But you see, here's the thing. If people had really trained up their generations and really themselves were trained in their churches to understand that our thinking starts from God's word, number one, we shouldn't be fearful of death. It doesn't mean you try don't try to look after yourself health-wise mm-hmm. and, sure. and that sort of thing. But I think for a lot of people, um, they become very fearful of death. But, you know, Scripture makes it clear. It's appointed under man once to die, and then the judgment. Everyone's going to die. I hate, hate to tell them out there, you want an encouraging message for all your <laughs> listeners, you're all going to die. I'm telling you that. Um, Unless Jesus one. comes first, right? <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. Um, but, you know, that, that's something we need to understand. And, you know, it, 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 because of this fear of death, uh, I think that's been uh, created. There, there's also this... You, you, you hear politicians saying things like, like I'm in the state of Kentucky, and I hear the governor in the state of Kentucky saying things like, we want to stop people from dying. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in one sense, you can't do that. You can never do that. You know. Right. And then he says... We neither can you stop a virus. <laughs> According to the laws of science, you can't stop a virus. Viruses will always be with us, that's true. <laughs> and it is a, a fallen world. I mean, we've got to understand we can't get the world perfect you can't stop people from dying but the hypocrisy of things too where he says we want to protect children and yet he totally supports abortion and during the shutdowns he actually made sure abortion clinics were open so they could kill children in their mother's wombs i mean what hypocrisy but that's what you expect from the secular world but as christians what we need to be doing is making sure our thinking is built on god's word and you know to really understand what we should believe as christians about anything we actually have to build our thinking on Genesis 1 to 11 because that's the foundation for our worldview, the foundation for all doctrine and the foundation for the rest of the Bible. One of my father's favorite passages, which uh, he said constantly, repeated constantly, and most people don't even know about it, but in the Psalms it says, if the foundations be destroyed, 
what can the righteous do? And that is what supposed, we'll call it pseudoscience, has done to try to destroy the foundations of life itself and of uh, God's love and uh, uh, salvation for humankind. Uh, If the foundations be destroyed. So the issue is our foundations and the foundation of not only our country, but also within the church is being eaten away, and we're allowing it to happen. Yeah, that's Psalm 11.3 is one of my favorite verses too, because as I explain to people, look, if you're going to build a house, you don't start from the roof and then build the walls and then try to put a foundation of sand underneath. It doesn't mm-hmm. work. Mm-hmm. You've got to start with the right foundation of rock and then build the walls and then build the roof. And, you know, if you think about it, that uh, the walls and the roof are sort of analogous to the, the Christian doctrines, our worldview, the gospel, and so on, you can't take that structure and try to put it on the wrong foundation of sand. You've got to have the right foundation of the rock of God's word. And unfortunately, what has happened in many of our churches, you know, the era we live in, I believe this era started in the 1800s. I agree. And, you know, maybe, maybe I should sort of, remember, sort of also say to people that, look, in Genesis 3, the devil's attack was first on the word of God to get Adam and Eve to doubt and not believe the word of God. That's Genesis 3, 1. Did God really say? Or did God actually say? And when you go to the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 11.3, the Apostle Paul, and that's God's word through the Apostle Paul, has a, a warning for us that the devil's going to use the same method on us as he did on Eve, which means he's going to use a method to attack God's word, to get us to doubt God's word. I call it the Genesis 3 attack. So we should be saying to ourselves, how does that Genesis 3 attack manifest itself today? Because it manifests itself in different ways at different times. Well, I believe it started in the 1800s, when out of atheism and deism, those who rejected God's word said, you know, we don't believe the Bible, no such thing as Noah's flood, so the layers with the fossils were laid down millions of years before man. And then what happened? Christian leaders took that and said, we'll fit it into the Bible in a gap between 1-1 one, one and 1-2, one, or reinterpret the days of creation to fit millions of years in. Along comes Darwin, we'll take Darwin and we'll say God used evolution. And so all these compromised positions started coming to the church at Christian colleges, seminaries, Bible colleges. But what they're really doing is saying, we take man's religion, because that's what evolution really is, man's pagan religion, we add it to the Bible, we reinterpret God's Word, you're undermining the foundation, you're undermining mm-hmm. the authority of the Word, and as younger generations start to see, oh, what we're taught at school, we can believe all that um, about evolution, millions of years, we don't need to believe the Bible, Genesis is not true. Hey, if Genesis 1-11 to is not true, what about the rest of the Bible? They start to doubt, it leads to unbelief, they walk away from the church, and now we're seeing those younger generations, you know, church attendance with Generation uh, Z, and the millennials is down to about 11%. I mean, church attendance in America go way back, used to be about 70%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my generation, the babies boomer generation, about 32% of those. But there's been a, a, a generational loss from the church. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing us getting to more towards England. I mean, England, church attendance four percent or something. 4%. Yeah, yeah it's unbelievable. Much. You know, uh, we have been told that God has no grandchildren. And uh, if, if we lose the coming generations, we're going to lose the whole culture. But as you said in your book, it only takes one generation to lose the culture. That's because God has no grandchildren. And I, don't, I think we don't quite get it. I don't think our pastors really get it. I don't think our parachurch leaders really get it. 
There's a lot of talk, a lot of hand-wringing, but there's very little willingness to bring the people back to the authority of God and his word because we hate the word authority. Did you know, Ken, that the most hated word in the church today by by admission by many, many pastors, parachurch leaders on this program, the most hated word in the church today is the word obey. In other words, we hate authority. We don't like God's authority. Every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. Isn't that the characteristic of uh, the of Israel in the days of the judges? And they just about self-destructed. Well, it is. And you know what? It really is the characteristic of us in nature. Because if you go back to Genesis 3, Genesis 3, 1, where the devil said, did God really say? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, first of all, what's that saying? That, that saying, you doubt God's word and that doubt leads to unbelief. Mm-hmm. Because we sinned in Adam, our propensity is we would rather believe man's word than God's word. That's wow. our nature. Mm-hmm. We would rather believe the praise of man than the praise of God. And then if you look at Genesis 3, 5, another aspect of the temptation there, which they fell into, was uh, you will be like God. In mm-hmm. other words, you be your own God to decide truth for yourself, to decide right and wrong for yourself. You reject God's authority. And so if you think about it, our very sin nature is, and I see this in the church, where Christian leaders would rather take the, the pagan religion of the age, man's belief about evolution of millions of years, and change God's word that rather than believe what God's word clearly says. And then when it comes to even issues now with LGBT and marriage and, mm-hmm. and abortion and so on, they listen to what the culture is saying, and they're trying to change God's word because they'd rather fit in with the culture. And I tell you what, I... I can see how, you know, you talked about the church has, has really failed and they don't get it. They don't get it because here's, here's what I've seen. I've spoken in all 50 states in America. I've spoken in hundreds of churches, many different denominations. I've spoken all around the world, in fact. I have a bird's eye view of the church most people don't get. And you know what I see? I see in the church a lot of these Christian leaders recognizing, look, we're losing the coming generations. What do we do? Here's what I see, generally speaking. And I, and I put a caveat. I love music, and I love praising God with music, but here's mm-hmm. what I see, generally speaking. And that is, an increase, churches increasing entertainment on the stage, and the flashing lights, it becomes more performance like a concert than anything, m- pushing more experiential type yeah. emphasis. Which they think is making things more down, relevant. They water down the teaching of the word, and they mm-hmm. think that entertainment's going to solve the problem. That means they don't get it in regard to they've missed teaching biblical authority and equipping generations to defend the Christian yeah. faith. Trying to seduce uh, unbelievers into the church, and the church has been seduced by the world. Okay, our special guest today, Ken Ham, with his book, Divided Nation, Cultures in Chaos and a Conflicted Church. Uh, it's a hardbound book, easy to read. Uh, $16 is the book. It's yours for $15 on our website. $15 on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. If you're writing a check, add $5 for postage and handling. We'll get the book in your hands ASAP. Now, before the upcoming break, there are five areas where Ken Ham believes parents and church leaders have failed, and there's been an overall neglect and failure to teach five things, and here they are. First of all, there's no neutral position. Number two, there is no non-religious position. 
Number three, there are ultimately only two religions. Number four, general Bible and creation apologetics have not been taught. Number five, how to think foundationally to develop a truly Christian worldview or God view. And uh, that's where we're going to be talking about in the second half of the program here. And uh, Ken, what you probably did not know is that almost every day, certainly several times a week, we say here on this program that viewpoint always determines destiny. There are no neutral viewpoints. And that's really what you're saying. There is no neutral position. That's right. No neutral position at all. And you know what? That's what the Scripture teaches. Exactly. As you're either for Christ or against. You walk in the light or darkness. You build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand. You gather or you scatter. And the problem is people think secular means neutral. And therein lies a big issue. Our churches need mm. to teach so that people understand secular is not neutral. If it's secular, it's anti-God. All right, Public friends, we're going to go into this neutral. break here, and I'll tell you... Uh, we're going to deal with some things here that you're going to have to make some choices on. We're all going to have to make some choices. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. We're confronting the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. Rebuilding the foundations of faith and freedom is a voice to the church first, declaring vision for the nation here in America's greatest crisis hour on the near edge of the second coming. Now, over 90% of kids from church homes in the USA have been sent to the public education system. So what happened is that that system has progressively changed, and by and large, public school educators have thrown out God, they've thrown out the Bible, they've thrown out prayer, they've thrown out Genesis and creation, and they claim they threw out religion. But Ken Ham says that's not true. What they did was throw out Christianity and replaced it with a different religion. And we want to talk about those things here in this segment of the program here today on Viewpoint. And uh, Ken, before we, perhaps we can pick up on the educational aspect of this, because we're being told now that in the last year, year and a half, the homeschooling in our country has more than doubled, more than doubled because of COVID. It seems to me that this might be the perfect moment for Christians to seize this moment 
carpe diem, seize the day, and to to uh, begin to take seriously our responsibility to teach our children in such a uh, uh, anti-Christ culture. Well, that's for sure. I mean, when you think about it, you know, Scripture actually lays, uh, you know, the the responsibility for education for our kids at the foot of the parents, and particularly the fathers as the spiritual head. And we need to understand, I think people are starting to wake up that there's something evil going on in uh, the public education system. But what we need to understand is the public education system has always been anti-God. See, generations ago, I think the older generations don't sort of understand sometimes because they grew up in a more Christianized America. I mean, Mm -hmm. because... You know, some of the founding fathers were Christian, but regardless, they had this Judeo-Christian ethic that came out of the Bible that permeated the culture. It permeated even the secular education system. So when kids went to school, they would even read the Bible or have prayer, uh, have prayer on on assembly or before Mm -hmm. football games. Or Or have release time where you went to uh, for an hour to uh, uh, some sort of religious A a clergyman or or something Mm -hmm. like that, yes. And, uh, you know, even sing Christmas carols, have nativity scenes. Sure. Uh, even teachers had the freedom to teach creation, mm-hmm. even though evolution was in the textbooks and so on. But what's happened is all that's been thrown out. And, you know, people, I think, have been intimidated because they haven't been taught correctly about these issues. And so places like, you know, the Freedom from Religion Foundation, which is nothing but an atheist organization, comes along and says, you can't have them in schools because you're imposing the Christian religion. So we say, oh, okay, so we let you take them out. And now they've imposed their religion of atheism because you're either for Christ or against. But now what we're seeing is what secular really means. Without the veneer of Christianity, we're now seeing it in all of its naked ferocity, if you like. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing the anti-God, LGBT worldview and critical race theory, which is Marxism. And all that's going on uh, coming out more and more, obviously, in that education system. And I, I, I hope it really wakes up parents. You know, one of the problems is that many of our pastors has endorsed that education system. And there's also been a, a misunderstanding, I think, because many parents have been taught, even by many of their pastors, sadly, your kids need to be in the public school to be witnessing to the other kids. In other words, they want to use your kids as evangelists when they're not prepared even to uh, walk the truth themselves. Well, that's the whole point, and I talk about that in, a, in another book I did. I think we talked about it uh, some time ago, uh, Will They Stand, where I talked about, uh, you know, you have to uh, you have to make sure that you're raising your kids up with salt, the salt of biblical truth, and being mm-hmm. prepared for the world they're living in. You can't throw them to the world to be salt, because parents have said to me, oh, well, our pastors told us our kids need to be salt. They can't be salt till you have the salt. And if they, if the salt's contaminated, it's good for nothing. What exactly. we've really done is effectively handed them over to the secular world, to the atheistic worldview, and said, you indoctrinate them in that for a number of hours each day. We'll send them to church for one hour a week, and, you know, let's see what happens. Well, we've lost most of them from the church. Most of them have walked away from the Christian faith. Yeah, and if they're, even if they're still in church, they're not, uh, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. In fact, According to, uh, I think it was Barna, going back about eight years ago, he said uh, they concluded that tw- only 20% of professing Christian young people, 30 years of age and under, uh, believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, which means 
the 80% that claim to be Christians aren't Christians at all because they don't believe the most foundational truth of the Christian faith. So we're living in some profoundly different times, but let's go back to a statement you've made uh, earlier. And I think if we, if we can understand a bit of the origins of this, it will help uh, our listeners to, to comprehend the depths of this battle that we're facing. You indicated that most of this began to take place in the mid-1800s. That's exactly right. Exactly right. In 1859, it was Charles Darwin with uh, Origin of Species. And, uh, in fact, uh, he was quoted in Newsweek magazine later as uh, saying he knew that when he presented that, it was as if he was committing a murder. Can you believe that? Well, that's, what, that's what Darwin said. It was as if he was committing a murder a murder of the Christian faith. That's what he knew. Yep, exactly, because because what Darwin was on about, and this is what people need to understand. See, a lot of Christians don't get it, that the creation-evolution issue, the age of the earth, and so on, it's not just an argument about fossils or radiometric dating. Or, you know, it's really to do with naturalism, which is atheism. Mm-hmm. What happened was Darwin, if you read his own writings, he wanted to come up with an idea to try to explain the whole universal life without God. That's naturalism. That's atheism. That's why he saw it as murdering Christianity. And in fact, even when he published his book, The Origin of Species, at the end of that book, he said he intended to apply this to man. He realized he couldn't come out right away you know, in Victorian England and so on and, and, and attack you know, man being created in the image of God and so on. So he had to do it uh, step by step. So mm-hmm. first of all, he popularizes the idea of naturalistic evolution with animals. And then 12 years later, he applies it to man in his book, The Descent of Man, which yep. is one of the most racist uh, books around, uh, as he talked about lower races, higher races, and man evolved yep. from ape-like creatures and so on. And So there uh, you've got it, CRT, you've got uh, that critical race theory, you've got... Uh uh, Black Lives Matter, you got all these things that are coming in now. But let's go further back in, in that history. At that very same time frame, we have the public education system that was born. That's when the public education was born. Dewey and uh, the Humanist uh, Manifesto and all of those things, they came out of Darwinian thinking. Then also in the uh, mid to late 1800s came Marxism. All of those things, and Freudianism, they all came at within about a 30, 40 year period of time. Now we're living with the conflicting consequences of all of those, and people just don't get it. No, they don't, and because they don't understand worldview. You know, it's interesting, some of those statistics you quoted before, there's also a statistic, I think it was Barna who did it, found that only 6% of uh, Christians have a, a biblical worldview. I mean, they don't understand what it means to have a biblical worldview. We've been impacted by the culture so much. And, you know, when you, you know, if you think about what has really gone on with what you just talked about there in regard to Darwin and Marxism and so on, and Dewey and the education system, I think of a, a quote from Adolf Hitler. Hitler made this quote. He said, he who owns the youth owns the culture. Mm -hmm. And the devil knows if you can get hold of the youth, the younger generations, and capture them and give them the wrong foundation of man's word and give them this secular worldview, eventually you'll own the culture. And that's exactly what we've seen happen. 
And unfortunately, the church should have been all along warning people about this and helping them to raise up uh, generations on the right foundation with the right worldview, equipped to withstand what was happening. But instead, in a way, we we succumbed. Well, Pope Francis apparently Pope Francis apparently uh, has seen the handwriting on the wall, and he said, "If you can't beat them, join them." So uh, he has also profoundly and publicly and uh, with passion embraced evolution, uh, which means that he has utterly and totally pulled the rug right out from under the authority of Scripture, which makes him the surrogate authority in opposition to the Bible itself. Well, and you know, sadly, it's not just the Pope. It's also many leaders in certain Baptist uh, churches and denominations and Presbyterian and Methodist. It's everywhere. I mean, it is everywhere. It is right through the church. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, Chuck, one of the most asked questions that I get asked here at the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum... I bet I know what it's going to be. The same question I get asked all the time. Go ahead. Well, the question is, do you know a church in our area that takes the same stand you do? That's exactly the question, and uh, the rest of the question for us is, and that provides the concept of uh, biblical community that the Bible describes. We can't find those two combined anywhere. No, it's, uh, you know, it's, it reminds you of what was happening to the Israelites. Really, you know, there's another verse of Scripture that I think we've got to, you know, think about, too, in regard to this. You know, you, you read in Scripture, there's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. And what's happening today is not new. I mean, if you go back and look at the prophets, when you read Amos and, and Hosea and Malachi and so on, when you read the prophets, what was happening? The Israelite people were compromising with the pagan religion of the age. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were taking, you know, idolatry worship, even child sacrifice, mixing mixing man's religion with their feasts and their music. And you know what God said? God said to them, I don't, I, I don't uh, hear your music, and I don't mm-hmm. accept your offerings, right. and I don't want your feasts, and uh, you know, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge, and there's a famine in the land, a famine mm-hmm. of the teaching of the Word of God, and you're going to lose your children. Uh, and you know, what was happening there is happening today. There's a famine in the land. There's a exactly. famine of the teaching of the Word of God. We're losing the younger generations, and what has happened? God's people, by and large, have and the leaders, the shepherds, many of them, not all, but the majority of them, have compromised with yeah. the pagan religion. Well, we're teaching age. people to believe thing. in God, but not to believe him. That's the problem. We've abandoned the authority of God in our country, in his own house. We'll be right back with Ken Ham in just a moment. The book, Divided Nation. I'll tell you, friends, you've got to have this book. We'll talk more about it when we get back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. 
incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Preachers are afraid. Pastors are afraid. Popes are afraid. Politicians are afraid. The people are afraid. Everybody's afraid to tell the truth. Everybody is afraid that they might offend somebody if they do tell the truth. That's our problem. And because we cannot speak with authority, we don't speak with authority, and our message is not reasonably heard. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus came upon the planet, as the people heard him, they said he speaks with authority and not as the scribes. In other words, there's something very different about the way he spoke. He didn't have to try to make things relevant. They were intensely relevant. And people knew that when he spoke, they had to choose. They had to make decisions. He wasn't trying to please the people. He was there to please God. I wonder what would happen, Ken Ham, if we had that attitude today. If pastors and parachurch leaders and uh, uh, parents and uh, uh, youth leaders and so on really were more interested in pleasing God than pleasing people, you think we might be able to uh, establish the authority, reestablish the authority of God and His Word at least in a uh, a small group of people that God had put his trust in? Well, you know what? i tell you what's interesting. When I speak here at the Ark Encounter or the Creation Museum, or, you know, I, I travel a little bit now still, too, and speak in churches and conferences, I have people come up to me and say, you're so passionate and you come across um, so easy to understand and, and with authority and so mm-hmm. on. And I say, well, you know why that is? Because I believe God's word and I trust it. I don't have that doubt that leads to unbelief. And because I really believe it and because I believe Genesis 1 to 11, you've got the foundation to know how to talk about marriage, how to talk about gender, how to talk about abortion, how to talk about the race issue, how to talk about death and suffering, how to talk about any issue. And how to talk about globalism even with uh, Genesis chapter 11 and the Tower of Babel. Well, the point is, when you when you believe God's word, you can speak with authority. In other words, you know that verse you quote, quoted. You know they were astonished at his teaching because he spake as one having authority, not as the scribes. We can speak with the same sort of authority because we have the word of God, mm-hmm. who is the absolute authority, and that's the whole point. You know, when you know, I remember my father uh, when he was bringing us up as kids, and his favorite verses of scripture were the ones. Like, you know, in Matthew 19, when Jesus was asked about marriage, he said, mm-hmm. haven't you read? Uh, he loved those those passages. Mm-hmm. It is written. You know, when the devil te- tempted Jesus, when you remember what he said, it is written. Mm-hmm. And even the devil tried to misquote scripture. And he says, ah, as it is written. In other words, you know, we can speak with that authority, the authority of the word of God. And that's been the problem in that in this era, so many of our Christian leaders from their seminaries and Bible colleges have been taught to doubt God's word in Genesis in particular, and uh, so many of the 
people in our churches and Sunday school teachers, they, they don't know what to believe and we don't get that authoritative teaching uh, starting at the beginning and so they can't speak with authority. Well, what they're but doing, they're speak speaking with, with the authority of their feelings and uh, the faith once delivered to the saints gives short shrift. Well, that's another aspect, by the way, when it comes <laughs> to Generation Z. You know, the younger generations have been brought up on the basis of you judge things by your feelings. Mm -hmm. I've even talked to Generation Z in our churches who have said, um, you know, well, I feel that if a young, uh, if two men love each other and want to get married, why shouldn't they? But they don't understand the sin nature. They don't understand the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We're not neutral. And what they should understand is they need to judge their feelings against the absolute authority of the word of God. Mm -hmm. That's what they should be doing because you can't trust your feelings. Exactly. But have we taught that to these generations in our churches? And the answer no. is in many instances, no. Okay, so the question then is, Okay, like Francis Schaeffer said, seeing then that all these things are going to happen, how should we then live? Peter brought that up again. Seeing that all these things should be dissolved, how should we then live? So your question is, what should we do? What should we do? Speak to parents. Speak to, uh, first of all, speak to parents. Well, what we need to be doing is we need to do what God's Word tells us about raising up our offspring about our godly offspring first of all parents need to obey the the roles that god has given them for men to be the spiritual leaders of their home wait a minute and who's supposed to be the spiritual leader of the home yeah the men the fathers are supposed to be yeah. the spiritual leader the fathers to the children shall make known thy truth and and husbands that will love their wives sacrificially and pour out that love on them as christ loved the church so they need to be setting an example uh, to others and to their children that they're obedient to the roles God has given them. You know, we've got this emphasis in our culture right now of equality, but you know what? We might be equally sinners and equally offered the free gift of salvation, but there are not equal roles. God has given specific roles to men and women, to, to fathers and mothers, and we need to be obedient to those roles. And then we need to be saying, what does God's word say about our children, bringing up our children, and keep at the, at, at, at the forefront of your thinking, what Paul says in the New Testament, in Philippians, for instance, I count everything lost but to know Christ. In other words, the most important thing for your children, for you, for anyone, there's nothing more important in the whole universe than they know Christ. And that should speak to you as parents to say, you need to make sure now that you are training them up. You've read God's word. He's warned you that the devil's going to use the same method on them as he used on Eve. So you need to be saying, how is he doing things today to try to undermine the authority of the Word of God. I need to be equipping them with answers, with apologetics, with answers to these questions. I need to be giving them the right foundation from God's Word so they know what they believe, why they believe what they do, and they know, need to know how to defend the Christian faith, how to answer those skeptical questions, and to understand uh, who they are as Christians and what that means. I mean, that's what parents need to be doing. Absolutely. And, of course, we get uh, at least a guideline for that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, that uh, parents should talk of the word when they walk by the way, when they lie down, when they rise up, when they sit down to dinner with them, and so on. In other words, it should be a constant uh, enterprise of discipling your young people. And I, I did that with my daughters, three daughters, and I've been doing it with my grandchildren. And uh, I take it very seriously, Ken. I know you've taken it very seriously. How many kids did you have? 
We have five kids and four that are married and now 18 grandkids. And, Unbelievable. You know, You've got a prolific bunch there. You well, need the, the ark to house them. Multiply. <laughs> In other words, you were obedient. <laughs> and you know what? It's thrilling to see because, you know, right from when they were born, you know, that, that, that's another <laughs> scripture we need to be aware of. You know, when uh, Paul spoke to Timothy and said, from a child, you have known the scriptures. And one of the things my wife and I realized is right from when our children were born, I mean, we were showing them books and pictures and, mm-hmm. you know, even dinosaur books from a creationist perspective, of course. And But we were teaching them God's word and apologetics. And as they grew older, they started to look at the pictures and point to them. And then they start, we read text to them and then they started to read. And so right from a child, we were pouring that biblical truth into our child, equipping them with salt, teaching them apologetics, getting them ready, because we said we need to get them ready for this world and how the devil's going to attack, because that's what uh, my parents did with us, so that we can make sure that we do the best we can, understanding Mm -hmm. everyone answers for their own sins, and I understand that, so there's Mm -hmm. no guarantee from a human perspective, but to do the best we can to give them that right foundation and equip them the right way, and I I tell you, our, our... Four children that are married have married godly spouses who are also involved in our ministry, and they're doing their best to bring those grandkids up uh, to to love the Lord and stand on His Word. And of course, you know, we as as grandparents get involved. My wife is seeing our grandkids, you know, regularly as well, and helping them and being a witness to them. And you know, that's that's what it's all about. The family is the first and most fundamental of all human institutions which God ordained in Scripture. And it's the unit God uses to transfer that legacy, that spiritual legacy from one generation to the next and impact the world around. So we Actually, it's the sure foundational church, it. isn't it? It is. The family is. is the foundational church, and you can't expect your church to get it, get it right if you can't get it right in your family. No. That's All true. right. Well, now, let's go back to the uh, public education thing. Uh, this is probably a thorny issue for some. Uh, my wife and I, uh, through thick and thin, even though I uh, served on the board of a Christian day school, I served on the board of a Christian elementary and junior high school in California, and uh, I served on the board of a Christian university. So I know what Christian education is like. What we actually discovered, and this was back in the 1980s, we actually discovered, Ken, that even within the Christian realm, there was so much compromise because people were rationalizing that you should use Christian education as a means of evangelism. So to bring in non-believers in to corrupt the, uh, the kids that were Christian kids, and we watch it corrupting our children to the point where one of our daughters just came and said, please, take me out of this school. And we began to homeschool. And those were the early days of homeschooling in California. And uh, that's what we did. And uh, it, it takes some effort. It, but when, you, when you're obeying the Lord and you see God's call on your life and the purpose for the family, uh, doesn't that change the decisions that we make? Well, it certainly does. And one of the sad things is the majority of Christian schools, not all, but the majority have used secular textbooks, and they're really just adding God to 
a secular worldview. And and again, yes, there's there's different philosophies, and you know we need discipleship education. If you're going to have a Christian school, I, I love to see a discipleship school, which is saying we want to get be, beside parents and help them. It's the parents we want to help to equip and mm. raise up uh, their children. And, uh, you know, even in the homeschool movement, mm-hmm. and we homeschooled our kids as well as some of them being involved in Christian school and homeschool. Mm-hmm. Uh, three were totally homeschooled out of the five. Uh, but even in the homeschool movement, I'm seeing, you know, more and more pressures to uh, use secular textbooks and have, you know, the, the, many of the homeschool conferences, a number of them now are starting to introduce secular speakers because there's more and more secular speaking, more mm-hmm. and more secular parents who are wanting to homeschool because they see how bad this, the public mm-hmm. education system is. But unfortunately, that can also cause, uh, even within the homeschool movement, some of that to be corrupted. Exactly, so, and know, that's how Satan works. He corrupts one yeah. step at a time, and that's how God en- enjoined us to deal with things, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, and we need to keep the vision unto the end. We need to be consistent and keep the vision and then trust that God uh, will do what we can and then God will pick up the reins from there and do what we can't. Ken, pray for all of us, will you? Sure. Uh, Gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this day and thank you, Lord, for uh, saving us and for the opportunities you give us to witness to others, help us to uh, redeem the time that we have and to use that time to be able to impact uh, the world, impact the culture, but to raise up generations who will be able to impact uh, the world. Lord, to gra- raise up that godly seed to pass on their spiritual legacy from one generation to the next so they will be true salt and light uh, in this world. I pray for all the parents out there. I pray for uh, all those children. I, I pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, bring a revival in their hearts so that uh, there's a uh, within the church within your people that there's a return to your word and to be obedient to your word uh, so that we will see uh, these offspring raised up for you uh, to stand in a world which is full of such wickedness and is so uh, antagonistic towards christian things lord we need to be bold we need to be unashamed we need to stand on your word i pray that you would Uh, convict more people to be bold in their Christian faith and to be unashamed and to contend for the faith as we should be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And of course, uh, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, after uh, Peter and John uh, had picked up the the mantle and the uh, baton from Jesus, they were preaching everywhere, they were arrested, and the religious leaders said, They saw the boldness of Peter and John, and because of that, they knew that they had been with Jesus. How about your boldness, my friend? Are you bold in the faith? We need that kind of boldness, a loving kind of boldness for this day and age. $15 will put this wonderful book in your hands, uh, Divided Nation. I hope you'll get a copy of it. It's on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, and become a partner. We're preparing the way of the Lord, friends, for history's final hour. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 